Welcome back to The Sinner, a series of history podcasts and Substack newsletters. This is episode 4, Empress Theodora of the Romans. Some origin stories are so interesting that you can't really avoid telling them. Imagine a peasant, just another common farm labourer who goes on to become Roman emperor. Or imagine a peasant turned soldier who becomes emperor. Or even a slave who becomes empress. Well, all these things actually happened. That farmer who became emperor was Justin I. The soldier was his nephew Justinian I. The barbarian slave girl who became empress was Justin's wife, Euphemia. This podcast isn't about those extraordinary stories, and they are remarkable stories worth their own write-ups, but that of Empress Theodora, who was Justinian's wife. She was not just a slave, not just a peasant or a soldier, but an actress and a concubine. Not only did she become empress, but she was also ordained a saint by the Orthodox Church. So how do we know so much about Theodora and Justinian? Well, Procopius, a Roman scholar from what we now consider Israel, in the Roman province of Palestine at the time, wrote about this era, the wars, the riots, the plague. He provides a fantastic insight into the era. Moreover, he also left the world with his secret history. While his writings were flattering to the ruling family and top general Belisarius and his wife Antonia, the secret history book was far more damning. The secret history did not see the light of day for years until after Theodora's death. And I quote here now from the secret history. Often, even in the theatre, in the sight of all the people, she removed her costume and stood nude in their midst, except for a griddle about her groin. Not that she was abashed at revealing that too, to the audience, but because there was a law against appearing altogether naked on the stage without at least this much of a fig leaf. Covered thus with a ribbon, she would sink down to the stage floor and recline on her back. Slaves to whom the duty was entrusted would then scatter grains of barley from above into the skylax of this passion flower, whence Greece, trained for the purpose, would next pick the grains one by one with their bills and eat. End quote. Theodora had less than humble origins. She was born into a Cypriot family, possibly in the Roman regions of Cyprus or Syria around 500 AD. Theodora made a name for herself as a stage actress. She had a part in the Greek story Leda and the Swan. Employment in such an occupation would require her to perform or act in compromising positions on stage plus give favours off stage. For a while, 816, she lived as a concubine for a Syrian official as he visited the Roman province of Libya. After leaving that service, she stayed in Alexandria, met Patriarch Timothy III. That is when she probably converted to Maiaphysite Christianity. More on that religion later. After Alexandria, she darted through Antioch, a big city, before heading to the empire's capital, Constantinople. I just want to spend a few minutes here talking about the state of the Roman stroke Byzantine Empire at the time. 
If you remember from history lessons at school, the Roman Empire at its maximum was massive, from modern France to modern Turkey, Egypt to Tunisia, Jerusalem to London, the entire Mediterranean Sea was Roman. So significant was this empire that after Constantine's reign, and probably before it as well actually, the empire had to be split into two just to manage it. The empire consisted of a western half and an eastern half. The western half was Western Europe, Britain and Western North Africa. The eastern empire consisted of Eastern Europe, Eastern North Africa, Anatolia, i.e. modern-day Turkey, Syria and the area around Jerusalem. In 476 AD, after a series of invasions, the Western Empire collapsed, leaving the Romans with just the eastern half of the Roman Empire centred on Constantinople. With the western half of the empire lost, the Romans that grew up in Theodora's time dreamt of bringing the west back into the fold. Let's talk about the marriage. A lot of marriages in the ancient world, in particular those of monarchs, tend to be marriages of convenience. This one actually seemed real. Some, some law from Constantine I's time had forbidden, forbidden people of a certain rank from marrying actresses. To get out of this fix, Emperor Justin I allowed reformed actresses to marry beyond their position. This was initially done for actually another purpose, but really it helped Justin marry Theodora. Theodora became Augusta of the Roman Empire in 527 AD. Justinian became Augustus. Unlike many other empresses, she had her own seal and her own court. Justin really valued her and her political opinion. He referred to her as his partner in deliberations. She often was at his side when he was at court. And if Justinian was not well, she held court by herself. Intriguingly, Theodora made all senators, including patricians, lay before her, face down on the ground, in her presence. I think this was probably in part because she felt insecure because of her past and her part to keep the establishment in their place. Procopius said, Not even the government officials could approach the empress without expanding much time and effort. They were treated like servants and kept waiting in a small stuffy room for an endless time. After many days, some of them might at least be summoned, but going into her presence in great fear, they were very quickly departed. They simply showed their respect by lying face down and touching the instep of each of her feet with their lips. There was no opportunity to speak or to make any requests unless she told them to do so. The government officials had sunk into a slavish condition and she was their slave instructor. You have to understand that this was a unique setup. Here was a woman, a woman indeed, who was not someone with a pedigree. Instead, she was someone with a rather shady background who became Augusta of the Romans. It was one of those crazy flukes of the system that could only happen in the Roman system. Let's move on to a reign with Justinian. Now I want to cover 
five key areas here. One, the wars of reconquest of the Western Empire. Two, the Nika riots. Three, rebuilding Constantinople. Four, natural disasters. And five, religion. Let's start with number one, the wars of reconquest. Flavius Belisarius was one of the most brilliant generals of his time. Possibly ever, he led the Roman reconquest both into the Sassanid Empire, i.e. Persia, Iran, into Italy, Western North Africa, and Spain. He and his wife, Anatonia, are interesting characters in their own right. She was also confident of Theodora. Procopius suggests that she had a similar background to Theodora. Anyhow, I digress. These wars turned out to be very successful. Justinian may have felt that more could have been done, more could have been accomplished in terms of bringing more ex-Roman lands back into the empire. Still, in my view, this was a staggering success. It brought the Romans back into Western Europe, well, at least for now. Number two, the Nika riots. On 13th January 532 AD, unusually tense and angry masses arrived at the Hippodrome for the races. The Hippodrome, where the races happened, was next to the palace complex. Justinian could actually watch from his box in the palace and preside over the races. The crowd had been hurling insults at the royal couple all day. By the end of the day, the partisan chants had changed from blue or green, i.e. the teams, blue and green, to Nika, meaning conquer. The masses broke out and began to assault the palace. For the next five days, no less, the palace was under siege. The disturbance resulted in ravaging much of the city, including the Hagia Sophia. Eventually, Justin and Theodora would rebuild this church, but more on that later. A few senators saw this as an opportunity to overthrow Justinian and Theodora. They opposed the new war taxes, as well as the royal couple's disregard for the elites. The rioters, now armed and presumably controlled by their associates in the Senate, also demanded that Justinian dismiss the prefect, John the Cappadocian, and Quaestor Theobinian. They then declared a new emperor, Hypatius, who was the nephew of the former emperor Anastasius I. Justinian, meanwhile, in hopelessness, contemplated escaping. Theodora deterred him, stating, and I quote, Those who have worn the crown should never survive its loss. Never will I see the day when I am not saluted as empress. She also is credited with adding, Who is born into the light of day must sooner or later die. And how could an emperor ever allow himself to be a fugitive? End quote. Although an escape route was crossed the sea was laid open for the emperor, Theodora insisted that she would stay in the city, quoting an ancient saying, and I quote again, Royalty is a fine burial shroud. The royal colour, purple, makes a fine winding sheet, end quote. As Justinian gathered himself, he created a plan that involved the trusted eunuch Narses, as well as the generals Belisarius and Mundus, carrying a bag of gold given to him by Justinian, the slightly built eunuch entered the Hippodrome alone and unarmed against a murderous mob that had already killed hundreds. Narses 
went directly to the blues section, where he approached the critical blues and reminded them that Justinian and Theodora supported them, the blues, over the greens. He also reminded them that Hypatius, the man they supposedly crowned, emperor was a green. Then he distributed gold. The blue leaders spoke with each other and then their followers. In the middle of Hypatius's supposed coronation, the blues stormed out of the hippodrome. The greens sat there, just stunned. Then imperial troops, led by Belisarius and Mundus, stormed into the hippodrome, killing any remaining rebels, be they blues or greens, in an unprecedented act of mass murder. About 30,000 rioters, i.e. citizens, were reportedly killed. Justinian also had Hypatius executed and exiled those senators who had supported the riots. This was carnage and clearly a blot on Justinian and Theodora's rule. Number three, rebuilding Constantinople. Following the Nika revolt, Theodora and Justinian rebuilt and reformed Constantinople. They made it the most imposing city in the world. Building or rebuilding aqueducts, bridges and more than 25 churches, they were certainly determined. The greatest of these is the Hagia Sophia, considered the cornerstone of Byzantine Roman architecture and one of the structural wonders of the world. It still stands today as a museum in modern Istanbul. At least that's what it is right now as the situation is in December 2020. Among other things, the San Vitale in Ravenna, which features two famous mosaics representing Justinian and Theodora, was completed under the sponsorship of Julius Argenteris. The Church of St. Segris and Bacchus, later renamed Little Hagia Sophia, was also built in Constantinople. Aside from several high-quality mosaics dating from the era, a column topped with the bronze statue of Justinian on horseback and dressed in military garb was erected in the Augustium in Constantinople. Bridges, dams, aqueducts, even underground ones, were created. Restored cities damaged by earthquakes. And a new city was founded, while other cities were better fortified. Number four, natural disasters. During the 530s, it seemed to so many that God had abandoned the Christian Roman Empire. A major weather event was recorded by contemporary writers. This impacted not just the empire of the Romans, but the world in its entirety. Fumes were in the atmosphere, and the sun, while still providing daylight, refused to give much heat so clearly something was in the air to prevent the heat from reaching the earth, resulting in cooler summers. This caused famine unlike anything seen previously. The cause of this disaster aren't known, but the volcanoes seem to be the main culprits, either one in Iceland or one in the Pacific. Either way, it was a major world event, and by the way, for those of you thinking, eh, it can never happen today. Well, think again. 
it can. Seven years later, in 542 AD, a devastating outbreak of the bubonic plague, sometimes given the unfortunate name, the Plague of Justinian, second only to the Black Death of the 14th century, killed tens of millions of people. Justinian and members of his court, physically unaffected by the 535-536 famine, were impacted. Justinian himself contracting and surviving the disease. During his illness, it was Theodora that ran the empire by herself. To compound matters, the eastern Mediterranean was rocked by the 551 AD Beirut earthquake, which triggered a tsunami with tremors felt from Antioch to Alexandria. Sadly, an expected 30,000 people are thought to have died in this event. Number five, religion. Theodora was a monophysite Christian. Justinian followed Chalcedonian Christianity. They were both different in this. Theodora was sometimes actually accused of dividing Christianity, although that is a bit extreme, considering Christianity had found its own way of dividing itself up to that point. Monophysite? Well, what you need to know is this. The 451 AD Council of Chalcedon declared that Jesus is one person in two natures. A divine nature and a human nature. So Jesus is one person in two natures. A divine nature and a human nature. Monophysites, on the other hand, hold that Jesus, the Word, is fully divine and fully human in one physics. Monophysite in Greek actually means one nature or one substance. So, it's very different from Chalcedonian beliefs. You'll be happy to note that they eventually did resolve this dispute and ironed out the differences, but for the time that we're talking about, it was still a big difference. Theodora played a proactive and important role for her religious kin. Here are three short examples. For example... In Nobete, south of Egypt, the inhabitants were converted to Morphsite Christianity about 540 AD. Justinian had been determined that they be converted to Chalcedonian faith, and Theodora equally determined that they be Monophysites. Eventually, they were Monophysites. In Egypt, when Timothy III died, Theodora enlisted the help of Dysosus, the Augustus prefect and Arstimorchos, the Duke of Egypt, to facilitate the enthronement of a disciple of Severus, Theodosius, thereby outmaneuvering her husband, again, who had intended a Chalcedonian successor as the patriarch. Third one, Theodora found a monophysite monastery in Sake, and provided shelter in the palace for monophysite leaders who faced opposition from the majority of Chalcedonian Christians. So what about her legacy? After her death, the Empress died in 548 AD. 
aged around 48 years old. Her husband reigned solo for another 18 years. Theodora was declared a saint by the Eastern Church. Both Theodora and Justinian are represented in mosaics that exist to this day in Ravenna, in northern Italy. It was completed a year or so before her death. One of the most truly extraordinary stories, as a teen, Theodora had roamed the empire as a concubine, an actress, and someone who sold her services to men. She then became a powerful empress of all the Romans. This is the story of Theodora. You've been listening to The Sinner Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can follow me on Twitter or please like and follow The Sinner Podcast on Spotify, Google or Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.